Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 to 17. Let's give our attentive listening to the reading of God's holy word. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient servant, serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens and you who dwell in them, But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and a half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would bless the preaching and the hearing of your word now uh, and feed our souls uh, with your truth. Uh, Lord, nourish us even now uh, in this current uh, wilderness we're in. And Lord, rejuvenate us, uh, strengthen us, equip us uh, through this time. We pray in your Son's name. Amen. So we're continuing in our Revelation series and entering into now the second part of this vision of the woman and the dragon. And uh, what we have here is what's called a complementary vision. Uh, and what a complementary vision does is it shows the, the identical vision that was just before, verses 1 through 6. Uh, and it doesn't mean that these are two separate occurrences or two completely different pictures, but two different perspectives on the same vision. Uh, different angles on the same conflict between the woman and the dragon. And perhaps, therefore, a slightly different emphasis and and application as well. So with that in mind, I want to dive into today's passage right away and take a similar approach uh, we did last week where we first unpack the vision and then see what sort of principles are given to us from the vision. And then we'll unpack its relevance and see what practices are given to us through this vision, all right? So first the principles, and then the practices, all right? So point number one, uh, let's, let's unpack the principles. Let's start from verse seven. Uh, verse seven opens this vision up with Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon, as it says in verse nine, is the devil and Satan, and he also has his own angels. I mean, angel really means messengers. It doesn't mean white robes and halos. It means uh, messengers, and Satan has his own. And there's this epic, heavenly, spiritual battle 
between Michael and his angel army against Satan and his angel army. And the outcome is actually pretty swift, pretty quick. Verse 8, uh, dragon is defeated. There's no longer any place for them in heaven. And they were thrown down. Uh, verse 9 says he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, uh, it might be tempting for some people to read this and jump to the conclusion that this is referring to Genesis, where uh, Satan entered the garden for the first time, kind of cast out of heaven and thrown into the Garden of Eden. Uh, but that's not the right reading of this, because first of all, he says in verse 9 that the great dragon is that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. The, the dragon doesn't become a serpent here. He's referred to as the ancient serpent at this point. He's already known as this ancient serpent from very long ago. So, so it's referring to the Genesis account as ancient as well. So whatever the current point of time is, it's looking back on that account rather than entering into that account for the first time. Um, take a look at verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now, right, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers have been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. So by now, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. That's now. Right? Genesis 3 will be ancient. Now, salvation, power, kingdom of Christ have come. Um, so whenever now is, it has to be the most definitive point in history when Christ was prominently shown to us historically as he is the king of kings and lord of lords and salvation belongs to him alone. And when would that be in, uh, in terms of history? That would have been the point of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's what now is referring to. And that would be consistent with the, the rest of the verse which says, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. What's been defeated here most definitively is the accusing. That comes to an end, right? Not the tempting per se, right? Which is what serpent did a lot in the garden, but it's the accusing. The dragon here is identified as the accuser, and, and his accusations of, against the believers is its greatest weapon against God's people. Uh, that's the first inference from that. And the second, since Christ has paid the just penalty for sin on behalf of his people, the accuser has no case. Uh, if the debt has been paid, the debt collector has no business knocking on your door. The accuser has been defeated. It has lost his hold, his hold against you, over you. And that's why uh, it's through the death and resurrection of Christ that the accuser has been thrown down. And so thrown down is kind of made clear too here. Uh, it isn't some kind of literal vertical movement, right? Like throwing someone down like from the rooftop to the ground floor or something. That would be kind of our, how, how we translate into our modern English. But the original meaning of this throwing down is more like bringing someone to a defeated status or bringing someone to the place of subjugation. It's more like a karate move than this vertical movement, if you will. And so following from this, right, there's this, amazing reassurance that comes to believers in verse 11. And they, right, the believers, have conquered him as well by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. 
for they loved not their lives even unto death. This is the picture of a disciple who trusts in the cross, now carries their own cross, deny themselves, and follow Jesus. Uh, in a sense, this whole chapter is summarized here, uh, or the purpose of it is, is summarized here. Believers who encounter the dragon, and you will, you have, and you will continue to encounter the dragon, the devil and Satan, all of his spiritual attacks, you can be reassured and comforted that his evil has been ultimately defeated by Christ. They can attack you all, all they want. They can, they can tempt you all they want, torment you all they want. They will never win. They'll never separate you from the love of God and his power to save you, bring you home. You have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus has won this, this victory, decisive victory for you. Satan, yes, still, uh, like we sing, threatened to undo us, right? But only undo us in the areas that will be undone. He can only take away from us what we will lose anyway. The physical body, which is dying as we speak, and, and the material things that only have temporary value. But he can never take away from you what is eternally yours, what is forever yours your resurrection hope, your home with God and new creation where everything is the way it ought to be. That is what you have in the blood of the Lamb and the testimony that, that it gives you. You get to have this victory over Satan. So right, it says in verse 12, therefore rejoice. Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Okay, Right in the middle of this vision, at its very center, is this call to rejoice. It's a call to worship. For all those who dwell, and dwell here means to, to make a permanent home in some place. This, this is a call to believers to rejoice in their permanent citizenship, residence in the kingdom of God, in the house of God. To tell us, despite how things may appear now, you are here. You are not far from this. Every day you're inching closer to this home this home that is never going to fade away. And, and in contrast to that, the loud voice says next, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Okay, so it pronounces a woe and it's a warning really to those who still dwell on this earth. Right. Uh, earth and sea is to really emphasize this side of heaven, this current place we call earth. Uh, and those who dwell here as, as if this is their only permanent home. Uh, if this is the only home you'll ever have, the truest home you believe you'll ever have, that's to ultimately live without hope because in this life we will never escape sin, suffering, and death. And it's so short. <laughs> Uh, and the devil knows that, and so it's trying to do as much damage as it can while he's still while he's still here. During this short span of time, and so Thomas Hobbes, right, the philosopher, probably heard of him in college at some point, right? Uh, he's famously said, "Life is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short," which is his way of saying, "Woe to us." 
who only get to live in this short span of existence with all of this misery, all of this suffering, all of this pain. Ernest Becker is, is the anthropologist who said, uh, humanity shrink from being fully alive, shrink from being fully alive, and we tend to drink and drug ourselves out of being fully alive or spend most of our time shopping because our deepest need is to be free of the anxiety of death and annihilation. So if this life is all we have, then, then woe to us. Uh, and according to Ernest Becker, you're either aware of that misery and therefore you feel miserable, or you're numbing yourself from that awareness and therefore living in denial. But woe to those who only have this life and this world to live. Because in this world, in this life, we never escape fully sin, suffering, and death. But if your home, your final destination is to be with your maker, the God who made you, who made it all, who designed it all and purposed it all for his glorious purposes, and he grants you eternal life, this, this miracle of life continuing forever, and you get to enjoy that with him in his presence, then rejoice. Rejoice as those who will dwell with God in that place. That's that's what this is calling us to. That's what verses 7 and 12 has been about. The main principle being, since Christ has brought, your, brought you your salvation, you have victory over the dragon, rejoice even now on this side of heaven. Even when things have not been perfected yet, because one day it will be and you will be there. It's winter now, but spring is coming. So rejoice. Rejoice. And then from uh, verse 13, this vision leaves us with another very important principle. It's a reminder, and that is the dragon is still going to do its very best to come after the people of God, the woman in the wilderness. Okay. He keeps pursuing this woman who's surviving in the wilderness until she, she gets home, makes it home to paradise. This uh, kind of reminds me of uh, the character Furiosa in the movie Mad Max, Fury Road. It's probably one of my favorite action movies of all time. She's a, she's a warrior surviving in the desert, in the wilderness. Um, and, and like it says in this passage, she's got some offspring with her too that she's protecting, she's caring for. But she makes it through. How? Ultimately, she makes it through uh, even though there's these very strange I would say demonic-looking people coming after her. She makes it through, makes it home with the help of another greater warrior and redeemer. And, and what's fascinating to see is it, it, through that journey home in the wilderness, Furiosa, she, she grows even stronger. Uh, her offspring becomes stronger, and they become equipped to battle against the enemy, and, and they grow in their character. And I look at that, and I think, that's kind of like us. That's kind of like the church. The bride of Christ, the woman in the wilderness, with the help of the greater warrior, Redeemer, uh, fighting this battle, trying to make it home. And along the way, we grow stronger, more equipped to do battle. That's what verses 13 to 17 is about, essentially. Okay? Uh, the principle is, he's coming after you. But take heart, be encouraged, you make it home. Uh, it tells us, for one, uh, God will deliver us on eagles' wings, two wings of eagles, and, and then whatever 
waters that the enemy might pour out against you, God will not let that destroy you. And both of these images are allusions that take us back to Exodus, where God's people escaped into the wilderness. God uses the same language of carrying them on eagles' wings. And we know how God kept his people safe from the Red Sea, the waters that didn't destroy God's people, but destroyed all their enemies. That's what verses 14 to 16 are are mainly getting at. And then the vision concludes in verse 17 this way. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on the believers and their children, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Now that part about him standing on the sand of the sea is like a bridge to chapter 13, which we'll get to next time. For now, notice how the woman and her offspring are described here. It says here that the woman and her offspring are those who, what? Keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. That is the description of you and me, the church. We as believers, along with our offspring, our children, are people who keep God's commands and hold on to the testimony of who Jesus is. We are people who say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we're people who tell our offspring, therefore, you must serve and obey this God as well. You must identify as his people too. And we don't tell them, uh, you get to choose whatever you want to be. You're, you're, you're God's enemies until you profess your own faith. No, we, we tell them, you are children of God. You're disciples of Christ. You must obey him. That's a picture of us. That's a picture of us. And God will guide all of his covenant people, young and old, to home. He'll bring us home. Those are the principles that we can draw from this vision. Okay, And you can kind of notice, right, there's, there's a different emphasis when you look at this second complementary vision compared to the first one, right? Like we looked at last week. Um, what I want to do is unpack from these principles and this vision some practices, okay, for our everyday lives. Because that's how Scripture is. All of Scripture, right, Second Timothy 3.16, all of Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for our application. Don't ever think Revelation is too abstract. I can never live out what Revelation is talking about. Not true. All of Scripture is God-breathed, profitable for our application. And so we're gonna, that's why we're trusting God's process and going through the whole book of Revelation, because we, we know that's true. So first of all, here's what I want you to think about. Think about what it means for the dragon to become furious with a woman and to, to go off and make war on the rest of our offspring. Okay? It can only mean this, that you and I, people who keep God's commandments and the testimony of Jesus, as we op- whenever we open up God's word and ask, how can we obey God today? Or when parents ask, how can we teach, instruct our children to obey the Lord today? That infuriates the devil. It, that drives him crazy. Because that means he's losing. Uh, What does that tell you about the flip side of that coin? When you neglect to study God's commands, when you forget what God has even spoken in his word, 
when you, when you begin to live your life more according to your own passions, instincts, desires, Satan's not so mad at you. Why not? Because he's got you. He's got you right where he wants you to be, where he had Adam and Eve. Did God really say? No, he didn't really say that. What did he even say? And who cares? Uh, when we neglect the word of God, when we allow our children to neglect the word of God, uh, Satan's not mad at you because he's, he's got you. He's winning this war against you. We have to get that from this vision. Keeping God's commands and his word and, and carrying a genuine testimony of Jesus in our hearts, that's, that's a primary weapon we have against the enemy. That's how we gain territory in the spiritual warfare. So as mundane and insignificant as you know, read your Bible, do what the Bible says may sound to you, you have to realize that's really the only spiritual battlefield that matters. According to this vision, right? There's the, there's the dragon that's after the woman in the wilderness and he is mad at her. He's Furious. Why? She keeps God's commands. It's all it takes. It's all there is uh, to our spiritual battle. And it's all there in that seemingly mundane, everyday relationship you have with the Word of God. Your, your greatest battle against Satan won't be found in the the Hollywood depictions of possessions and exorcisms. Right? I mentioned that last week. I said, because if you see that, you only trust God even harder. Right? It's going to be found in the mundane, everyday moments of your life when you have the choice between living according to the Word of God or contrary uh, to the Word of God. Uh, listen to this very sobering quote from uh, David Paulison. The real devil, in contrast to the Hollywood depictions and caricatures, the real devil is utterly normal, and his role is fully integrated into daily life. Mundane evil is the devil's business. The real devil is utterly normal. His role is fully integrated into daily life. Mundane evil is the devil's business. That... that that mundane question of, what did God really say? The mundane forgetfulness, neglecting of God's word, has been, since day one, devil's main business and main strategy against God's people. So that tells us what our practice ought to be. Right? Very clearly, we have to take up the word of God. You have to take up the Word of God. When we drop that practice of reading and living out the Word, that's when the enemy's gaining ground in your life. Let me, let me get even more specific here since we're pressing into the, the practicals. Uh, take, for example, how easily we tend to grumble and, and complain. When things don't go our way, we grumble and complain. And how natural that is to us. How normal that seems when scripture so clearly commands us do not grumble 
Because when you grumble, you grumble against your Lord. A lot of the punishment the Israelites suffered, discipline they suffered in the wilderness, because, was because they grumbled. Yet it's such a mundane and normal attitude for me. I don't, I don't know about you. And, and yet it's hard to catch because it, it just comes in moments, don't they? It comes at us momentarily. And yet, as often as we do that, we are giving Satan territory, one inch at a time. How about when we compare ourselves with others? When we uh, fuel our hearts with jealousy, coveting, entitlement, pride, desire to boast in ourselves and our lives, that's also pretty mundane and, and normal part of our days, isn't it? It's one of those very, I mean, that's, that occupies most of my daydreams. But you know what James says about that? In James chapter 3, uh, jealousy, selfish ambition in the heart, boastfulness, these everyday mundane experiences are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. He says it's demonic. They aren't just normal and mundane. This is demonic attack on your soul. It's so easy to compile a list of these mundane, seemingly normal moments of sin in our lives, isn't it? When you express frustration, irritation, when it's, you know, toward, whether it's towards a person or situation, when you, when you blame someone, when you shift the blame without seeing the log in your own eye, uh, when, when a husband fails to cherish his wife, short-tempered towards her, or when a wife does not respect her husband, is condescending towards him, conflicts are not resolved in gentleness, but exacerbated through gossip. Uh, when we feel anxious and fearful, when we continue to get on that what-if train and go into what-if fantasy land in our minds, these are mundane, everyday moments to the physical eye, in a sense, yet when we put on spiritual lenses, when we try to see it through the lens of this vision, what we see is none of this is normal, it's a battle. And if you're not resisting it, you're losing it. It's a battle against this spiritual real estate called your soul. Uh, the, so we gotta be more aware of this. At least starting today, we gotta be more aware of this. First, by remembering who we are, we are people who keep God's commands and his testimony in our hearts. Secondly, we therefore take up the word of God and, and fight the spiritual battle. We, we learn from the psalmist who says, I have hidden the word of God in my heart that I might not sin against you. Or, or we treat it like it's a lamp unto our feet when we're walking in the dark, like we need it every step of the way. And whenever we notice something that's contrary to, to God's commands, anything that would be displeasing to him, we, we, we turn around, we change path. Even when it feels normal, even when it feels mundane, we put it to death because we realize it's not normal. This is a battle. The moments, just moments of bitterness, anger, grumbling, complaining, critical spirit, blame-shifting, short-temperedness, lustful glances, excusing laziness, gossiping, worrisome thoughts. We nip it in the bud. We don't treat them as normal not if we are keepers of God's commandments. 
So when you pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and you start fighting, you realize you're not just, you're not just uh, fulfilling religious duties. Right? I did my quiet time today. No, you are fighting an intensely spiritual battle against an enemy who likes to be hidden and mundane and, and who, who likes to just gain an inch of your life one day at a time. One moment, one mundane moment at a time. And, and you realize, too, this isn't just for the sake of guarding your own soul. It's also guarding those around you, your loved ones as well. Uh, it'll protect not only you, but your marriage. Not only you, but your children. Uh, not only you at home, but you in the workplace. You on the way to work. You and I need the Word of God a lot. Let's not, therefore, neglect the Word of God. Let's pursue God and His Word through all of our mundane moments. Uh, day in and day out, week in and week out, through the, through the mundane time of worshiping with people on Sunday, the, the mundane hours of doing you know, discipleship together, uh, mundane times of fellowshipping with one another, uh, perhaps even this mundane moment of listening to a sermon. When we gain territory in these mundane moments, that's how we win this war. That's how we win this battle. Uh, finally, remember Jesus how he fought off Satan. Uh, he had four words. He always, he always pulls out the sword with these four words. For it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You shall not put the Lord your God to test. You shall worship the Lord your God only and serve him only. He fought off Satan one Bible verse at a time one temptation at a time. Let's learn from our Lord Jesus, who already saved us and won the war for us, and now he, as he fights with us in the wilderness, he equips us to fight the way he fought and win the way he won, right? By studying, remembering, applying the word of God. One verse at a time, one devotional at a time, one family Bible study at a time, uh, one discipleship meeting at a time, one cell group meeting at a time, one sermon at a time, one counseling session at a time, one day at a time. And, and remember, none of it is just normal. It's all a battle. All of it is a battle. And the Lamb of God who conquered this enemy by his own blood, he, he stands by you and he guarantees your victory. Doth ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for uh, this vision. We thank you for what it teaches us and what it reminds us uh, of uh, the gospel, of your Son, of uh, how he has saved us by his blood, how he has conquered sin and death by his cross and by his resurrection. Uh, Lord, uh, help us as we uh, hold on to this testimony in this wilderness that we, we would also, Lord, uh, carry your word, keep your word uh, in us uh, so that, Lord, we can continue to battle against this enemy uh, who you've shown us so clearly is after us.
in this wilderness. It's trying to do what it can do during this brief momentary existence. Uh, Lord, equip us through your word. Uh, awaken us to our desperate need of your word every moment, every hour of our days, and not only for ourselves, but for our children, for our spouse, siblings, co-workers, neighbors. Uh, Lord, uh, help us to be your, your salt and light through your word as well. Uh, God, equip us. Um, and Lord, uh, reassure us as often as we pay, pray, uh, deliver us from evil, uh, that you have indeed done so, and you will do so until we get home. Uh, God, we trust in you. Uh, we, we thank you for your son. We praise him for his victory. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name.